This is Finally Free, a podcast for those sick of battling their bodies, sick of fearing food and the number on the scale, sick of punishing exercise all in the pursuit of diet culture's version of health and wellness. I'm Alana Vandersloos, a certified intuitive eating counselor, eating disorder survivor, and the founder of Freedom with Food and Fitness, where I offer group coaching for women who are ready to heal their relationship with food in their bodies and become their healthiest, happiest, most confident selves without ever having to go on another diet. On this podcast, you will hear me answer your biggest questions around how to become a successful intuitive eater. You'll hear inspiring stories of other women on their food freedom journeys, those who are recovering, those who are recovered, and those who are helping others to do the same. I'll teach you how to quiet that incessant voice in your head telling you you're not enough, how to find peace and satisfaction with food again, how to embrace the one and only body you have with fitness you enjoy so you can move through this world with confidence. Are you ready to be finally free? Before we get started, I want to remind you of everything I have to offer with Freedom with Food and Fitness. First, I offer group coaching. My 10-week intuitive eating coaching program is called Defy the Diet, and it blends intuitive eating principles and mindset work in a hybrid format that blends group and private one-on-one coaching to give my clients amazing results. My summer cohort client, Adriana, had this to say about me as her coach. Alana's helped me to develop a healthy relationship with food and helped me uncover the root causes of my disordered eating. She's very open and honest about her own previous struggles in her journey, which empower me and the other ladies in the group to have deep conversations about the challenges and pressures we face from diet culture in our society. Uh, it's testimonials like that that seriously make everything I do for my clients and my business worth every second. If you're someone who wants true mental and physical health without restriction and obsession, stop overeating, find consistency in nutrition, movement, and self-care, and take the guilt out of wellness, this program is for you. If you're ready for your ticket to find food freedom, enrollment is currently closed until the spring, but you can fill out an application and schedule a call with me at freedomwithfoodandfitness.com slash call. That's freedomwithfoodandfitness.com slash call. We'll talk all about your current struggles, flesh out those goals, and create a clear step-by-step roadmap. We'll travel together to finally get you to those goals. We have a brand new coach coming on board and five new Defy the Diet package options to help make this program more supportive than ever. An insanely effective program tailored to your needs and your budget. Spots that include one-on-one coaching are limited every time that we offer the program. So again, go to freedomwithfoodandfitness.com slash call to apply today. If you're not quite ready for coaching, check me out on Instagram at freedomwithfoodandfitness. There, I have free quizzes to assess your relationship to food and fitness, articles I've written, exclusive blog posts, free intuitive eating worksheets and videos, and so much more. So I have to say, y'all, this is what happens when you are overambitious and you record your podcast episodes with guests well over a year in advance. So this episode is all about Maria Scrementi and her work as a certified intuitive eating counselor and just kind of troubleshooting some of the things that our clients come to us the most with, you know, be it binge eating or feeling like they're addicted to carbs or sugar or lack of energy, kind of all the biggest, most popular things that clients come to us about, we 
flesh out and troubleshoot in this episode, but um, when we recorded this episode, we were not currently working together, and we were just uh, Instagram besties who really understood each other and were helping each other out not only as coaches, but as entrepreneurs in the space. And now we work together. She is my co-coach. She still has her own practice uh, where she sees uh, clients, both group and one-on-one coaching. But Maria has also come on with Freedom in Food and Fitness as my co-coach for some of the higher ticket Defy the Diet packages that I offer. So I'm recording this intro to say that Maria is not only someone that I adore personally and professionally, but we also now work together. But her official bio, if you uh, want to work with Maria as well, Maria Scramenti is a certified intuitive eating counselor who helps women make peace with food and feel confident in their bodies without dieting. She specializes in emotional eating, body dissatisfaction, and disordered eating such as chronic dieting and binge eating. She loves fresh flowers, singing and dancing around the kitchen, and leisurely Jeep drives through Nashville in the sunshine with the music loud. Essentially, she is passionate about living joyfully and freely and is dedicated to helping others live the same way. Maria has been quoted in articles for Psychology Today, Pop Sugar, Yahoo, MSN, and the National Wellness Institute Journal. She holds a bachelor's degree in exercise science and almost a decade of experience in the fitness industry with certifications in seven different fitness modalities. That is a lot. She has completed 60 credit hours of master's level coursework in counseling, is a certified health and wellness coach, and an expert for the Body Love Society's Undiet Your Mind website. Maria adores her work and is on a mission to help women leave shame and shoulds behind so they can embrace and connect to their truest, most vibrant selves. And even a year later, our conversation holds up to this day, very evergreen, very relevant, very topical for anybody who's looking to break up with diet culture and find a healthier relationship with food. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Maria Scramenti. All right. Hi, Maria. Uh, Maria and I have been following each other for quite some time now, so I feel like I know her really well. Hi, I know. And you're one of those people on Instagram that I'm like, I would genuinely be friends with them. Why don't we live in the same place? I know. I know. You know, that's the thing about this business is that like none of my like in real life friends, like I don't even think really get what I do still, but then everybody like you and and the community that we have on Instagram, I feel like they really get me. And I'm like, why don't you live closer? Maybe we should do like a retreat. We should do retreats. Yes. That's a great idea. (laughs) We should talk. Yes. I would love that. Oh my God. So would I. Um, So I feel like I asked this question of everybody first, just because I I think it really gets down to, to the crux of, you know, the journey is what was your relationship like to food and your body and weight growing up? I think I always had some level of body dysmorphia. I remember from a really young age, just not being comfortable in my body. And that was probably directly influenced by like most of us, like my mom was dieting, her mom was dieting. So I was pretty much just born and bred in diet culture. And I don't blame my mom or my grandma for that. It's just the society, the culture that we grew up in. But I definitely absorbed a lot of that from a young age. Um, I was the only girl in a household full of boys. I have three brothers. So I don't know exactly how that might have played into my relationship with food and my body, maybe influenced it positively in some ways, maybe negatively in others. But I know my sort of disordered eating and tumultuous relationship with food and my body goes back to childhood for sure. Sure, sure. And I think, I think that's like a lot of people's experience, like generational 
messaging that's brought down. And again, we can't really blame them because that's what they were grown up into. We can't even blame ourselves for the same reasons. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's it's tough. So your your journey is actually really similar to mine in terms of the particular eating disorders that you experienced, um, and you can speak to what those uh, are, and you know how we both kind of healed by finding health at every size and intuitive eating. Um, did you find that you didn't have your eating disorders all at once? Did they show up at like different stages of your recovery? How did that work for you? That's a good question. Yeah, because a lot of times one will sort of lead into the next or cause the next. So that's what it was for me in my case. I started with some pretty restrictive eating that turned into, I guess, what we would call orthorexia. So an unhealthy obsession with clean eating. And that was really exacerbated by working in the fitness industry. I mean, you know what the fitness climate is like. There's a lot of pressure to be thin and to have visible muscles and toning, quote unquote. So that pressure really got to me and it influenced the way I was eating and I was really rigid um, tracking in my fitness pal. And that, you know, a lot of time, well, we could talk about this more if you want, but orthorexia is typically a, um, a for binge eating disorder because the restriction inherent in something like orthorexia, anorexia, I mean, oftentimes just that's so unsustainable. It's such an unsustainable way of relating to food that you go to the other extreme and you just go to the other end of the spectrum. So then I ended up developing later on binge eating disorder. Um, and then by the grace of God, found health at every size and intuitive eating, which is so integral in my healing. Um, but yeah, it was like one eating disorder, disordered eating pattern to the next. And then finally I got my hands on this information. Yeah. I feel like that's similar to my journey. Like, like I said, it was, you know, in the beginning, it was like, my goal was to eat as least calories as possible. And then I realized that, no, you do need to fuel your body to get the aesthetic that I was looking for, but then it became orthorexia. And as you said, inherent in orthorexia and that type of restriction is restricting and binging. Yeah. It goes into that. So yeah, there's like these phases sometimes that you can slip into and out of. It's so fascinating. Um, how, How were you first introduced to intuitive eating and health at every size? Was it Instagram? Was it podcasts? Did you read something? My, one of my best friends, I want to say back in 2015 or 2016, um, encouraged me to read, I believe it was Caroline Dooner's book. And she kind of had some insight, my best friend did into intuitive eating and was encouraging me to look into it. And so I got my hands on a couple different books and it was sort of a slow process for me to integrate intuitive eating. I don't think I immediately understood it. Um, perhaps if I had started with the original intuitive eating book, I would have, I would have been able to, to sort of move in that direction sooner. Um, but I read, th- I mean, I, I, it was great for me to be, to, to read things like body kindness by Rebecca Scritchfield, um, Caroline Dudner's book started listening to Christy Harrison. And that was a, it, I mean, it really, really opened my eyes, but it is such a paradigm shift that I think it just took me a couple years to fully get it. Yeah. I, cause, cause unlike another diet, intuitive eating is there, there's a, there's a movement component. There is a diet or, you know, food component, but it's largely a mental component 
that takes so much more energy and, and things to work through that a diet doesn't have. So it can be harder in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. the, and the mental work is the work that a lot of people I think have resistance to because it doesn't feel like a quick fix. No, it's not. And it's not sexy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, not, it's not what, you know, what, what a diet could promise you or appears to promise you as yeah. we know, but it's, it's a different type of deeper work that is slow and not linear and not as sexy. Yeah. Great point. It's much harder to market. <laughs> so true. It's so true. Yeah. I honestly, when I first started my business, I, didn't label myself as an intuitive eating coach because I didn't feel like I followed intuitive eating because I was like, well, I don't believe that, you know, like you can just, you know, eat pizza and ice cream and it's going to be okay. And I didn't have that gentle nutrition part of it. Like I didn't read the whole book yet. So like I did, and then I, I read it and I understood and I heard like, um, the body love society, how to love your body podcast. And they would like work through that. It's not just all about eating pizza and ice cream and, 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 you know, play food or junk food or whatever. And once I understood that piece, I was like, Oh no, this is good. This is very good. People should, everybody needs this. So, you know, that's how I kind of refined, you know, what my niche was and what my philosophy was is I, I fully understood it. And I think a lot of people are stuck in that not fully understanding it. So not wanting to jump on board. Yeah. And also not knowing that it's grounded in science and it's evidence-based. Yes. Well, that now that I'm going through the training, there are a lot of studies I've been reading. There's a lot of pages. <laughs> yeah. There's a ton of research. It's so true. And it's, it like blows my mind that this research isn't, you know, well-known. And I have people on Instagram who are like, well, if you if you just Google, it says that, you know, obesity causes X, Y, Z. And I'm like, do you know how much like crap is on the internet? Like, are, are you aware of what news literacy is and like looking at scientific studies? I know. I know. I agree with you. There's so much noise to sift through though. It is. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it, you know, I can't even blame people because they're seeing that on the internet all the time. And the more you see it, the more you believe it. And also there's like confirmation bias. If you're going to lean toward the things that you already believe anyway, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's much harder to adopt a new, a totally new perspective. Even, even when you see the research and the science, you're going to have that level of skepticism because sure. it's really counter culture. Yeah. Now, you know, a lot of my clients and I'm sure your clients too, binge eating is a huge part of this. I think that's a very common uh, issue to have if you're a long-term dieter. So can you talk a little bit about the most common causes of binge eating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you said something earlier, Alana, that interested me too, where binge eating, like the restrictive binge cycle is almost like built into things like orthorexia or clean eating because they have these cheat days or like cheat weekends or cheat meals, which is just essentially like binging. Um, and it's a, it, it's a break from the otherwise really restrictive way that you're eating. Um, restriction, <laughs> restriction is like, one of the, if not, if not the number one predictor of what is going to cause binge eating and binge eating is not, I think a lot of people think that it's like somebody who just can't control themselves around food because they don't have enough willpower or they're addicted to food or they don't have enough self-control. I know it was game changing for me was to find out thanks to people like Evelyn Tribley and Elise Rush, who, um, you know, put this information in their book and 
binge eating is just a natural compensatory response to starvation or to deprivation. It's just your body trying to get its needs met. It's your body making up for the lack that was inherent in the restriction before. So it, that, I mean, is one thing that I really try to, to, to help my clients see is like, this isn't your fault and you don't need to feel shame around this. Um, most people who are restricting are going to end up binging. And it's just, again, like your body is trying to keep you alive. It's wired for survival. It's trying to get its needs met. So like, it's actually kind of a good thing. Like it's a smart strategy on the, the from a survival standpoint, it's not necessarily like sustainable or adaptive, like long-term, but um, if you can see that still your body's on your team, your body's working for you and really just trying to help you get your needs met. Binge eating isn't something that you need to feel shame for and it is fixable. Yeah. Absolutely. It's such an evil genius strategy on behalf of the diet industry to be like, all right, let's play on people's insecurities and their shame to make them act this way. Yeah. It makes me sick. It's, it's awful. I was just, I was just on a call with a, with a girl who's going to join me for uh, group coaching this summer. And we were talking about, um, like Weight Watchers and how, you know, if you, oh, you didn't lose your two pounds this week and what happened there? And it's like, this like shame of you should have, and why didn't you? And it's just, and it keeps you coming back because you're like, oh, well, there's something wrong with me. Teach me how to do it right, diet culture. Yeah, it's the ultimate gaslighter. I mean, yes. like they, they're like, it's, it's your fault that you can't stick to this plan or program. It's your fault that you're not losing the weight when actually like diets biologically don't work or make sense long-term. And it's not just the individual's fault. It's like a broken system. It's a broken product. Mm-hmm. I have to do a lot of, um, I mean, I encourage my, my clients too, to also be in therapy as they're going through my program, but we do, you know, whatever we can within my scope of practice to unpack the trauma that's associated with things like weighing yourself in front of people every week and think in programs like Weight Watchers, a lot of my clients have, you know, similar to yours, histories of chronic dieting. They, they were in Overeaters Anonymous, even, you know, non-consensual dieting, their parents put them on diets at a young age. Like there's a lot to process there and them coming to us, this, this, this might be the first time they're ever like really processing things like that. Um, so I think we have a responsibility as practitioners to create a really safe and compassionate space. I, I know that that is one thing that holds people back from getting help is they think they're going to be judged, which makes me so sad. Like they really think that they're going to be shamed or judged by practitioners. And it's like, you know, I think we have a duty to make our space as safe for them as possible. So they don't feel like they can't be honest with us. Absolutely. And something you just said, I think, I really want to unpack for the listeners is that those are traumas. Like there's a difference between what I call a big T and a little T trauma. Like people are like, Oh, I didn't go through trauma. I wasn't sexually abused or like watch someone die in front of me. And I'm like, well, that's a big T trauma, but there's little T traumas of being put on a diet when you're a a small child or being criticized for eating something as a kid, like, like, or being weighed in front of other people that can be a trauma. Anything that produces negative emotion and negative behaviors down the line, that's a trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being weighed in front of people. I mean, that can feel so violating. And I was emailing a client yesterday about um, how, you know, diets telling you when you're allowed to eat, what you're allowed to eat. Not only is that like super militant, but it's like also kind of abusive. 
And I think that it, trauma is, is that's the correct word for it, especially, I mean, what, when you think about not just the psychological trauma, but dieting is a nutritional trauma. Like your body is suffering from a nutritional trauma. So to recover from that, that's why we see binge eating. It's like your body is recovering from a nutritional trauma. It's no small thing. Right. And there's that fear around, you know, not restricting after a binge, you know, people fear that when they actually start fueling their body correctly, that they're going to gain all this weight. And it's like, well, you might need that. Like we need to start unpacking why you're putting so much emphasis of your worth on your weight in the first place. For sure. And we also have a lot of misinformation about how bodies actually work. Like I think there's a lot of fear around the weight gain and just not understanding actually factors into weight gain, weight loss, weight regulation. Um, the way diet culture teaches it is <laughs> by and large, mis it's misinformed. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, this is a long-term process. This isn't, this isn't the quick fix of a diet. The quick fix of a diet will get you short-term weight loss, but in the long-term you will probably regain it. And then some with intuitive eating, it's kind of the opposite. It's kind of, well, not for everybody, everyone's experience is different, but for me, you know, I was, I was underweight because I was severely, severely restricting. So I gained weight initially when I was intuitive eating, because I was introducing all the foods that I had been restricting and naturally the weight went up. And then for my personal experience, it, it kind of plateaued and flattened out and I ended up in my weight set range, um, but it goes up, it goes down. It's trying to find where genetically you are supposed to be. And that's different for everybody. So you kind of have to just be along for the ride and kind of trust the whole process from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that. And working with a practitioner, I think is especially important in this process because it's how do we be okay with those fluctuations of maybe a lot of people do gain weight initially and then arrive at their set point like you did. Um, and so, but how, how can we, like you said, decouple our weight from our worth and be like mentally okay, regardless of, of what happens. But I think there are a lot of benefits to feeling your body properly, finally, like recovering from that nutritional, you know, the deficit that was inherent in your dieting days. Um, a lot of my clients report to me that they, fe they feel so much stronger. They have so much more energy and their workouts are so much more effective. And they're like, who knew that all I needed to do was like actually eat carbs. They're like, yes. <laughs> right? It's yeah. insane. And yeah, it's yeah, for sure. Um, I do want to, because, oh my God, our time already, this is killing me. <laughs> um, I do want to get to the fitness component because you're so well ver versed in the fitness side of things. Like you have like all these certifications. I'm like yeah. so impressed. Um, you know, and, and not many intuitive eating counselors are. I just want to say that like you are kind of a unicorn in that way of you, you have the intuitive eating portion, but you are also really well versed in fitness and, and, and exercise. Can you tell me one of the biggest misconceptions that you hear around the fitness and health or fitness and weight loss industries? Like what is the big thing you wish people knew? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, I worked in the, in the fitness industry for a long time. So I've had a long time to think about this. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is um, like a lot of times um, trainers, like personal trainers and fitness pros will offer meal plans, which that's like sort of a different conversation of like, is that within their scope of practice? Like a lot of times I don't think it is. Um, but 
people who will, who are going to those trainers will follow those meal plans because the trainer has a body that they want. And so it's kind of just like, if you eat the way I eat, or if you eat the way I say to eat, like you can look like me. Bodies don't work that way. You, if we all ate, even if we all ate and exercise in the same exact way, we would all, still always have body diversity. There's always going to be fat people and thin people and everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. So diet, the, the fitness industry right now, at least, um, is very much like if you just eat less and move more, then your weight is entirely within your control and you can be thin and you can drop the fat. And that's just simply not necessarily true for everybody. And the second thing I would add, Alana, is the diet or the fitness industry right now is like so intense and they make you feel like if you are not doing the high intensity interval training and working out for like a minimum of an hour a day and breaking a sweat and getting your heart rate up then it doesn't count and it's like that i think is that's what keeps people stuck in this all or nothing mentality and maybe keeps people stuck from even starting moving their bodies in the first place is because they think that it has to be extreme but I, what I wish the fitness industry was, was promoting more now is just like, hey, all movements, like gentler types of movement can be great for you. Rest is also important. So it doesn't have to be as intense as the fitness industry is making it seem right now. Yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, I work out like 30 minutes a day. Like I, I can't tell you the last time I A, stepped into a gym or B, worked out for an hour. Yeah. And I feel like I'm the healthiest I've ever been. It's just, it's yeah. not... And you don't have to sweat. You don't have to breathe really hard. It's whatever you want to do. And I, I agree. I think what shies people away from consistent movement and exercise is the time commitment that they think that they need to put into it and that they're being forced to do only a certain you know, group of types of exercise. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can move your body in so many creative ways and it doesn't have to feel like a chore. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, what do you say, because going back to the food, I'm sure a lot of clients come to you and they say, you know, I think about food all day long. Mm-hmm. What do you say to them? Or what is a strategy that they can take away? I, I say I hear this a lot. So I want them to know that that's common. Like they're not alone. While it might be common, it's not normal. And like life shouldn't be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way. And thinking about food all day long is most often a hunger symptom. It's your body saying like, we actually need food. It's not that you're like addicted to it. Um, Because by and large, Alana, you know, with intuitive eating, like when you are eating enough consistently, you're able to eat and just like move on with the rest of your day. And you're not really thinking about food too much unless like you're actually hungry. Or maybe there's something special, you know, a special snack or meal that you're looking forward to. But by and large, we're not consumed with thoughts about food all day long. So that's something I tell them too, is like, it, it doesn't have to be this way. And it's possible for, for everyone to be able to live a life that doesn't revolve around food and their bodies. Um, So yeah, primarily that's an indicator that you're just not getting enough. And there's likely some restrictive like diet mentality thoughts and beliefs that we need to work through to make it possible for you to not be obsessing over food. Absolutely. And uh, you know, a lot of my followers have issues with emotional eating. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's a practical strategy that they could take away to combat that? Mm-hmm. Mine too. So that's, that's a, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, emotional eating is often, you know, like other pa- disordered eating patterns, it's 
often just a response to the restrictive mentality around food, so physical or mental restriction. So I would say make sure that you're eating enough and eating foods that you enjoy and see if the emotional eating just kind of goes by the wayside naturally once you're doing those things. A lot of times people who are identifying as quote unquote emotional eaters, it, they might not actually be eating emotionally. It could just be they, they're having a lot of emotions surrounding the eating experience, but it might not be necessarily the emotion that's driving them to eat. But even if it is the emotion that's driving them to eat, the emotion could be like deprivation or anxiety that's caused in the first place by a lack of food or by the dieting that they're engaging in. So right, once you right, right. that, like you kind of just stop seeing instances of emotional eating just as a byproduct of getting your needs met. Okay, great. Yeah. I feel like this episode is like the troubleshooting episode where we talk about like all the things, like our most popular things that our clients are telling us. Like I always emotionally, I always think about food. Um, and, and that brings me to my next one is, and this is, I feel like these go hand in hand somehow. Um, a lot of my clients and I'm sure your clients too, I'm addicted to carbs. I'm addicted to sugar. I'm addicted to food. Um, what do we say to those people? I get why you feel that way. And you probably really do feel addicted. Like it probably does feel like an addiction. Um, chances are that you're not actually addicted. It just feels that way because of the restriction. Restriction is like the number one culprit to all, like most of these issues surrounding food. It's just, it goes back to restriction. Um, the less carbs you eat, the more your body is going to crave them again, because it's like, we, this is something that we need. <laughs> Carbs are the body's primary and preferred source of energy. Yeah. <laughs> and sugar too. It's just your body's trying to get energy. And once you are eating, getting what you need, you will stop feeling addicted to sugar and carbs. Right. Right. And that whole idea of habituation, it's like what you resist persists. If you don't consistently add those foods in, they're always going to be special. So they're always going to be that forbidden fruit. And they're always going to be the thing that you're thinking about. If I tell you to not think about a red puppy dog right now, that's literally exactly what just popped up in your head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, habituation is, is a phenomenal strategy. I mean, for those listening that this stuff we're going into right now is complex too. And I, it's okay. That's what I want the listeners to hear is it's okay. If this doesn't land right away, or if you have questions, like yeah, I get it. This is a lot. I mean, there are, these are layered issues too. And everyone's relationship with food is unique. And so I think like, yeah, that's why I'm a big, you know, advocate for getting professional support. Yeah, you need it. And especially like in that beginning phase of intuitive eating where you might gain a little bit of weight because you are introducing the foods that you were formerly restricting, you need a coach or, or somebody who's going to get on a call with you and you're going to tell them about that. And they're going to be able to tell you it's okay. And it's normal. And you don't need to run back to, to the diet because this is part of the process. Yeah, totally. That can be so comforting for somebody to hear when they're in that panic phase of like, Hey, yeah. this is temporary. And it you're going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to, and I can't believe it's already 11. I, I don't know how that happened. Um, <laughs> I know, I, could talk to you all day. I know, I know. So it's so, you know, it's so nice to just, and that's another part of having like a coach or, or a group is that like it's other people who get it. And I, I don't know about you. I know your best friend kind of understands intuitive eating, but I feel like I have nobody in my personal life who understands what I do. And it's like, I have my group and I have you who like get it. 
I know. Well, that's why I'm like, my clients are like my tribe. I'm like, you guys are my people. Like I need you just as much as you need me here. Like I love jamming out about this stuff. Me too. Me too. Um, I like to end because this podcast is called the finally free podcast. I like to ask, what does it mean to be finally free for you? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, dieting, well, diet culture is a system of oppression. And when you view it that way, you realize, oh, wow, I was participating in this system that was oppressing me. I was oppressing others like inadvertently, surely. But um, I mean, thinking about food all day long and being obsessed over tracking your macros, counting your points, counting your calories, that is a prison. To not be doing that anymore is can only be described as freedom. And to be able to, like, for me, it's about self-actualization, being able to live up to my potential. You cannot do that when you're chronically hungry and deprived and tired and cranky because you're not getting enough food. So yeah, finally free for me is just like not having to live a life that revolves around food in my body. Yeah. I love that. What a great, what a great idea to end on this idea of chasing self-actualization and our full potential. Yeah. Great. So, um, if you want to really quick tell, and I'm going to put this in the show notes and I'm going to say it in the outro, but tell everybody where they can find you so they can hear it over and over again and go find you. Oh, thank you. Probably the best place right now is my Instagram at just my first and last name at Maria Scrimenti. And I'm always teaching on there. Um, And you can apply for one-on-one coaching there. I also have a free private Facebook group called Make Peace with Food. And that's a wonderful community for us to just hang out and have conversations like this. Um, And I try to make that as accessible as possible. Um, And then my website, mariascrementi.com. Those are probably the primary places right now. Thank you for asking. Of course, of course. Yes. And then we'll all be in the show notes. You guys can just click right on that and find Maria and get some one-on-one coaching. Cause I don't, I don't offer one-on-one coaching. I only offer groups. So if you are someone who needs like private stuff, go to Maria. (laughs) Thank you. Wonderful. And we're, uh, we're going to be talking when, when, once we build up a little bit more, we're going to be talking about retreats. So we're going to do already. (laughs) Maria, Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I had so much fun. Talk to you soon. All right. Great. So that is it for today's episode. Seriously, of all the podcasts you can be listening to, I'm so honored that you took the time to listen to mine. I'm also so proud of you for taking this small step forward toward food and body freedom. If you like what you hear and you want to work with me as your coach, go to freedomwithfoodandfitness.com to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call. That way I can hear your specific needs and set up a game plan for your success. I would also be so, so grateful if you could subscribe, follow, rate, and review this podcast so many more people who need help with dieting, body image, disordered eating, and fitness can find our message of freedom. Until next time.